this episode, you'll meet Jim Fagan, the wry, dry, funny pilot, father, teacher, and wonderful grandfather. Jim was famous to me for wisecracks that have stayed with me in my brain for 50 years, as well as our mutual struggles at Air Force. Hi, Jim. How are you doing today? Good. How are you, John? I'm good. I'm a little sweaty <laughs> from running around. We, it's, a, it's a blistering day up here today. We're, we're up to 75 degrees, which I, I know you're laughing at that. Yeah, it's actually pretty cool here. It's 85. <laughs> oh, man. I, I could, we, our blood has thickened up enough to where that stuff makes us miserable down there. We want to go travel to the hot parts of the world. So uh-huh. to, to launch these, we always ask the same fundamental question, and that is what's your message to the, uh, the incoming class of 26, our legacy, 50 years after we did all this stuff? What's your message to them, the current cadets, recent grads, and then the old goats that might be listening in? Oh, uh, for the new ones, I almost said new guys, but I'd be dating myself. Um, for the new class, I'd just say there may be those times it's going to seem like this is the worst thing that's ever happened to you. But you got to remember that there's thousands of us who've gone before you who are in just as much trouble as you can get into. And we got through it just fine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so... <laughs> persevere and make it through yep they can make it look harder but they can't make it longer there you go that that's right man that's a good one um so my my first personal question to you is whatever happened to the porsche 914 i never had a 914 what'd you have i had a spitfire and then traded it in for a van i thought you had one of those fake porsche things no i'm trying to think uh I can't think of anybody who had a 914. So you had a Spitfire, okay? Yeah, that was that was first year, huh? Yep. And did you keep that well after graduation or not? No, I kept it about halfway through and then uh, traded it in for a uh, custom van. Well, my, a my more brain, flexibility. My brain fades on me when I when I think back on you driving around. I knew you had a sports car of some sort. For some reason, I thought it was one of those little uh, boxy Porsche things. Nope. Oops. <laughs> All right. Off so a great start here, John. Yeah, well, well, that's that's the nature of the beast for me and you, man. I I I always attribute you to some of the greatest lines I recall from my cadet days. Some some very funny things. Um, but but the the big question because I know how much fun we all had, and that's sarcastic, folks. Uh, what what what? Where were you before the academy, and why'd you go? Um, well, I was a military brat. My dad was a retired Air Force officer. And uh, I remember at some point in my high school career, probably about the beginning of my junior year, my mom mentioned the Air Force Academy. And I thought, oh, what the hell? I'll send out applications. I'll throw one in there. And since my dad was a retired officer, I was eligible for a uh, presidential appointment which I got, which means I didn't have to go through all the tap dancing around with congressmen and people like that. They just, uh, superintendent sent me a letter, said, come on down, and the rest is history. Cool. So where, were you, where did you end up doing your final years of high school? Uh, I grew up at Plattsburgh, New York, which is uh, one of many bases I've closed behind me. But my dad was stationed there. He retired and went off to teach school, or not went off, but went on to teach school. And... Uh, he wound up retiring there, and that was pretty much where I grew up. So you you weren't 
he wasn't really bouncing around much when you were a kid? Nope. Uh, the only earliest memories I've got are of Plattsburgh. Okay, cool. Yeah, I, I was also an Air Force brat, but I went to, I lived in many places. No, no, no I was a rolling stone. I, I, I tell people I never grew up anywhere. <laughs> Still haven't grown up. But, uh, well, you can leave out the anywhere. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Here he comes. Here comes the one-liners again. So, duly year, what was that like? Um, a little bit of an eye opener. I was your typical high school hotshot when I got to the academy. One of uh, fourteen hundred or eighteen hundred, how many of them of us walked in through the door? Which was cool, except for the fact that I was smart enough to get through four years of high school without ever learning how to study. <laughs> which is great in high school, but when you hit the academic fire hose at the zoo, I went on academic probation the end of my freshman year and stayed there until my first year. Yay. There's one there's another one like me out there, folks. <laughs> yeah, I was in fact I was on Dean's list both semesters of my first year and graduated with a whopping two point one one cum. Yeah, you beat me, I ended up with a two oh four. Uh, you were just trying to get the money. I know. Well, that that was on my uh, rating thing, yeah. So, yeah, I, I agree that having high school, uh, smooth high school tenure doesn't necessarily translate into being able to cope with all the academics they throw at you at the academy. Not even close. Now, what where'd you go? What did you do your freshman year? Anything st- significant to you? Not really. I was in uh, my Dooley squadron. I was in first squadron over in the old dorm and uh, pretty much stayed out of trouble. Didn't do a whole lot of stuff that I could think of other than not doing any studying, apparently. Yeah. Well, you you probably studied, but it was with all the military stuff thrown at you. It's, it's a little distracting. Well, I, went, I probably put more emphasis on military stuff initially than I did on studying because it was easier. Now I'm curious. Did you? Uh, what'd you do your first summer after after BCT and after your third duly year? Well, since I was on ACPRO, instead of going on leave, I took. Uh, oh, I forget what they called it. Our flight. Our flight. Yeah. For uh, I had to retake a math course that I flunked. I did that, and then I did uh, airborne down at Fort Benning, second period, and then wound up with third period Siri. So just a just a fun-filled summer for Jim Fagan. Oh yeah, it was great. <laughs> One thing I do want to preface though is we talk we're talking about academics. I owe a huge debt to the class of 75 for having their uh what was it, 48% attrition rate. Yeah. And having congressional investigations and everything else because I never would have made it through in either the class of 77 or later, because I remember them talking to people in those classes who had a D and got kicked out for academics. For a D? If I, had, if I only had one D, I was having a good semester. My goodness. I My joke, I had a buddy who, one, one of our classmates became a friend of mine after we graduated, and he, uh, or, or after he, after Kai left the, our squadron, and we were first, he, uh, he was one of the the superstar guys got a Guggenheim scholarship to Caltech and all this stuff. And whenever we'd go out socially and meet people, we'd always joke that we both only got one B at air force. Yeah. And all the rest of his were A's and all the rest of mine were C's. Yep. <laughs> and uh, I, I was very proud of the D's iron, but I didn't, I did not know they were booting us for D's. That would have been, that would have been tough. Oh yeah. They were kicking people out left and right. 
Yeah, I'd have been I'd have been gone well before you. <laughs> yeah, because I think uh, Pat Murray got kicked out, and he didn't have grades as bad as mine, if I remember correctly. And that's a pretty far stretch. It seemed like half the squadron, but apparently not as many as just you and I. Yeah. So what uh, did you ever get one of those uh, uh, academic uh, boards where they put you in a room and they videotape you? Oh God, we were on a first name basis. Yeah. I said, I'll just sit down and kind of, I'm back. They said, okay, you got two WACUs a week and study harder. Any questions? And I was out the door. <laughs> yeah, I, I got one of those. And they said, uh, you get infinite WACUs. Uh, you're going to change majors. Uh, you're going to get a D in the class. You're failing because you, you don't have the brain capacity to understand it. And we'll let you stay if you do all this stuff. <laughs> and I go, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> so, I'm curious with all that stress, because I'm this is a question I, I want to get across to the people listening is why did you not quit and just go do something easier? Um, because this was something I wanted. I mean, I was looking at I was looking at the end product end product. I wanted to fly airplanes and I wanted to fly airplanes in the Air Force, and this was the best way to do it. And you were pilot called all the way through, no, no no stress on that. Uh, there was stress before I got there because, uh, I've got a, had and still have astigmatism, which was out of limits for either pilot or navigator training. So I would have been commission only and come to find out that the 2020 line that the air force and every other ophthalmologist in the world uses has been the same since 1947, because I, when I, and it got my initial rating and they said commission only. My dad said, go take it again. The 2020 line is TZV ECL. <laughs> backwards, backwards, it's LCEVZT. And that got me, went straight from commission only to pilot qualified. Way to go, Jim. That's cool. And it's still the same. I go in like now to get my uh, prescription checked, and they'll throw it up there. And I said, can you throw up the other 2020 line? Because I already know this one. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I, For those uh, of you who are fighting this, getting in, T-Z-V-E-C-L. <laughs> and you didn't hear it from me. No, of course, it's not recorded for everybody in the world to listen to. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I I, I flunked the uh, the bar in a box thing where I couldn't tell which one was closer. And that's when they get that's when they took my pilot call away. Oh, they didn't okay. give me that test. So we were juniors. I go, well, this sucks. <laughs> so let's let's. Uh, Let's get to something fun. What what were the Pink Panthers like for you? Oh, it was a trip. It really was. We had a our class obviously was good. Uh, seventy five was okay. Seventy four was uh, pretty much okay. It wasn't exactly a party squadron, but it was pretty laid back. Pink Panther you, was a good mascot. Did you get involved in any of the stunts? Nothing really. That I can think of going back. I remember I got yelled at a lot. You know, Humberto Homero Alvarez was our AOC. And soon, while I was, since he decided I wasn't busy enough being on academic probation, he put me on aptitude probation as well. Oh, so you, you were a double banger. I was a double <laughs> banger. I never, never quite made it to triple bang. He didn't make the soups other list. <laughs> no. So he put a, he put you on aptitude. Now, how do you get on aptitude probation? Uh, apparently by showing lack thereof. Um, 
actually it was more for me it wasn't so much aptitude as it was attitude i just said i had an attitude i'll admit it and i didn't care whether you were a classmate or an upperclassman or whatever i was going to do what i was going to do and that creates problems in an environment like that well but it's also indicative i think of a of a group of guys who thought a lot like you bucking the system and doing what being very independent in a very controlled environment. Yeah, because I can't think of maybe one or two of our classmates in 36 that I didn't get along with. Everybody seemed to get along really well. Why do you think that was? I don't know, man. Luck of the draw. You know, we <laughs> all we all came out of our first or out of our uh, four degree squadrons and wound up in 36 and. I mean, like Kai Webb was my first roommate, and that's like the brother I never knew I had. Yeah, yeah. Not that I, I totally agree. I'm just I'm trying to help uh, the audience get a grip on the how, because you may be a cadet now or a recent grad, and you didn't have a tight squadron like that. And we just I don't know. There's something weird about maybe we're, half of us are on Act Pro and we're all doing wackies together, but. <laughs> Yeah, we had nowhere to go on weekends. I know Friday nights were hysterical with the Coke can cannon and the buffer drills and all that stuff. Yeah, I wonder if they ever, or when they replaced the lights in that, uh, the uniform lights that I took out with the Coke cannon. <laughs> I don't know. I know they took the car, they put carpeting down everywhere, so you can't do the buffer stuff anymore. Yeah, that was, well, back when we were going through, it was, uh, I think 35 and 37 were the only two that had carpeting that floor. But I do remember sitting there at the CQ desk trying to get the tennis ball all the way down the cross hall, which we had to put it right underneath the uniform lights. <laughs> I had it a little bit high, and there was colored glass all over the place for a while. <laughs> I don't even remember the uniform lights. So that maybe that's because you knocked them out, and I they, I never paid attention after that. <laughs> oh yeah, they we had them. And, and they then noise uh, when you hit them with a high speed tennis ball. Another unique thing about our squadron was we, we got to go every Thanksgiving to the Southern California deal. Oh, yeah. In fact, I'm uh, still Facebook friends with, and if you remember, Kathy Medicus. Yeah. Yeah, I still, we were friends and we touched base from, from time to time. But yeah, that was, that was like the deal of the century. For those of you who don't know what we're talking about, there's a uh, little hospital auxiliary in Lancaster, California that had a debutante ball every year. And back when uh, the Air Force had money, they used to fly us out there and we would escort the debutantes. And then later on it became, we couldn't get uh, airplanes or anything, so they would actually pay our way out. We would take our Thanksgiving uh, per diem or whatever they called it at the time and use that as a donation. But that was, a, it was basically, what, a four day party it was our whole Thanksgiving leave. Yep. And that, was, was a, that was a good time. And they didn't have to twist our arms to say, we're going to take, you know, 20 or 30 of you down to uh, Southern California, give you a girl for the week to uh, be, be an escort with and, and dress up and practice dancing and have free parties and food and dinner. And uh, real, it was just a lot of fun. <laughs> it was tough. Yeah. I remember I met uh, Dave Scott there. He was the presenter one year of Apollo 15. Oh, really? Yeah, I think that was the last year we went. I, I don't recall that. I, I think I was too too busy being your roommate at one of those hotels one night. Yeah, either that or shit-faced. 
<laughs> yeah. You you still have one of my favorite lines when uh, Kai brought two of the debutantes to uh to the room and he thought you know, he could use some help with them and and you you were pretending to be asleep and that was one of the funnier stories of, yeah. of our Oh my god, that was great. Um nothing happened by the way, folks. And Jim Jim put a pin in the in that balloon at the end and he says you two idiots couldn't score with money in a whorehouse. So that's pretty <laughs> That was pretty good. So you make it all the way through to the end. Now, were you part of, uh, as I recall, do I, did I see a picture of you dressed in a fife and drum thing with Pete Mapes? Oh, good God, no. Okay. Now, that was uh, Pete and Mike Byron were in that, and I'm not sure who else was. Did you get involved in any of that uh, Spirit of 76 stuff that was unique or just? Not really. I was just a member. Yeah, you and I were probably just trying to get through grades. I remember getting yelled at as a dually by the rain of the wing commander in a stairwell and got my ass chewed because I'd taken that was back before we got the red, white, and blue 76 shoulder. Yeah. I had taken my regular white one and taken a blue highlighter and colored it in with our class color. Uh oh. And he didn't see the class spirit in that. <laughs> Mr. Independence setting the trail. Oh, well. Now, did you you did parachuting in Fort Benning? Did you do anything at the at the academy? I did 490 the second semester of my third class year. What'd you think of that? That was fun. I had done some uh, civilian skydiving as a four degree a uh, little bit, and then did the uh, free fall the AM 490 free fall course, and then I couldn't get on the jump team because you had to have taken 490 during the fall semester, which I didn't know. Mm. But I wound up uh, going up to a little airport in Littleton, Colorado, just south of Denver, that had a drop zone. And did a, I wound up with about uh, probably two or 300. I think it was about 270-some civilian jumps. Did you pay for those yourself or how did that? Oh, yeah. Yep. Came from your magic money? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that's pretty cool. I didn't realize you did that much jumping. That, that's uh, That's interesting. Yeah, I was up there. Trot came up from time to time, too. Did you do, um, what did you do for your other summers after that, after the three-degree year? Uh, Two-degree, let's see. I took our flight again because I wanted to get ahead. And plus, you got to, if you took the Astro course, you got to go out and shoot rockets on the parade ground. <laughs> okay. And it was kind of cool. Uh, did that first semester. Second semester, I was a Siri survival instructor. And then third semester, um, man, I can't remember. Did you do uh, third lieutenant? I did third lieutenant the summer between my second class and first class here. Where'd you go? Uh, went to, what was it, uh, Altus in Oklahoma. which sounds like not a really good deal, but it was Mac. And I basically, of the three-week program, I spent a week and a half in Hawaii. (laughs) There you go. Supposedly trying to find a ride back home, but not really looking that hard. That's uh, Stuck on a beach, there's no rides out there on the beach, right? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, my third lieutenant was in Dover, and we're C5s, and we we flew all over Europe and uh, Middle East areas. That was pretty interesting. Yeah, we did mostly the Pacific. And we, they couldn't send us anyplace really official because our uh, diplomatic passports had gotten held up. So they said, well, why don't you guys grab a flight to Hickam? 
and wait there and we'll let if your passports come in we'll send them to you and if you're not there by a week or 10 if they're not there by a week or 10 days just grab another flight and come home which we did that's cool man that that, that would work for me <laughs> Definitely. No, it was great yeah so uh you made it to the to the graduation ceremony threw your hat in the air and then what um took the first pilot training slot available we had that was the first year we had the lottery back when pilot training was a big deal and uh went to reese got there i wound up not using all my summer leave because i wanted to get that first upt class but went to reese air force base another base i've closed behind me and love <laughs> tech and uh came out with a T-33 to the 87th Fighter Interceptor Squadron up at K.I. Sawyer, another base I've closed. Now, hang on. T-33s were still flying back? T-33, you you could get a T-33 because they wouldn't give uh, F-106 out of pilot training. They figured, they thought it was too much airplane for one pilot. Okay. As opposed to the F-4, which had two, well, a pilot and a Wizzo. So you basically you essentially would go up there, fly the T Bird for about a year to a year and a half, and then get an upgrade slot into the F one hundred six. Wow! And I missed out on that because about uh, let's see, I'd say three months after I got there, I picked up a heart infection out of nowhere. Wound up being grounded for a year and nine months or something like that before I finally fought my way back onto flying status. And then as I was getting ready to upgrade. They were switching the upgrade slots from F-106s to F-15s. And the cardiologist down at Brooks got a hold of that, and he goes, nah, you're not pulling that many Gs, son. So they changed my waiver to tanker-bomber transport, and I went into the world of mini-motors. Wow. So that's that's how you left the 106 world. So, but you are at Sawyer for like five years, is that right? Pretty much, yeah. And then, and then so you made the transition to... Uh, what aircraft and where? Uh, they had a FAPE other board, and I got uh, a tanker, which was not my first choice by any stretch. But the good part of that was that I got uh, assigned at Plattsburgh, which was my old hometown. Oh, yeah, I got to go home. So I got to spend three years there. Um, was not fundamentally suited to flying the tanker. Damn. Let me preface this by saying the tanker does an excellent job. You know, they're a great force multiplier. Nobody kicks ass without tanker gas, yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. But it's the most boring <laughs> flying you're ever going to do in your life. Okay. I mean, there are bus drivers who laughed at us. Yeah. I mean, you basically but, took off, turned the autopilot on, turned the autopilot off and landed. Wow. And all the good stuff that was going on was going on behind you. By, by the guys that running running the booms and all that, yeah. Yeah, I did get a couple. I got two European tanker task force trips and got to Iceland. And I think that was about it. Got some decent TUIs out of it. But like I said, the flying, I spent the three years flying tankers. I spent the last year and a half trying to get out of them. And you did. And I did. I got uh, my squadron commander was a real, real good guy. He helped me out got me a crossflow assignment into the B-52 and went up to Minot, which, shocking enough, is still open. It's the only base I think I've been stationed at besides the zoo that's still <laughs> actually in business. So, but then, and your and your buddy, your good buddy that got you in there would say, I'm going to send you to Minot as your penance. <laughs> actually, I volunteered to go to Minot because okay. back then, uh, most B-52s were completely nuke missions. They were 
flying around dropping tones or even more boring throwing alchems from a long ways away but minot was the only conventionally tasked uh squadron in the air force we were basically the heavy bomber portion of the strategic projection force which later became centcom so we got to do all this uh flying we we basically lived in the red flag and utah test ranges at night flying around through the mountains across the desert at 200 feet doing interesting stuff like night uh formation flying at 200 feet and all kinds of things like that lots of live drops I mean, everybody else was just basically droning and toning. So you're you're basically flying the F-106 flight profile in the B-52. Yep. <laughs> that's good. That's great. Until you hauled a 400,000 pounds of airplane through the desert and through the mountains at night at 200 feet, you haven't lived. No, I I, I can't imagine doing that. That's pretty. Uh, that's pretty well because you got a lot of engines to take care of and a lot of a lot of wingspan to watch out for. Yep. And now you did that till the end, right? Or did you, what else did you do? I did that. I uh, got uh, IP qualified while I was at Minot and was a line IP and a flight commander for about the last year. And then I got uh, an instructor assignment to the CCTS, which is the combat crew training squadron, did all the KC-135 and B-52 training out here at Castle, which again, I closed behind me. <laughs> And out here, I did. Uh, I was a flight line instructor for about a class and a half, and then I went up and taught uh, academics for. I was a deputy branch chief up there for about a half a year, and then the one dark part of my career, I was on wing staff for a year as a CCTS program manager, and went from there to chief of standardization evaluation, which was we did all the. Uh, all the training evaluations, everybody's check rides, stuff like that. We were known as the white scarf. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we could walk into base ops in the morning when everybody's getting ready to go out and pretty much empty a room because everybody thought we were there to know notice somebody. And I was actually just there to get some breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> but you you were the popular guys, negative popular. <laughs> oh, yeah. But did that and then got passed over for major and then got passed over for the second time. So they put me in, they asked, said, well, what do you want for a retirement job? Because I had about two years to go. And I said, well, go ahead and give me, give me uh, airfield operations. That's base ops and uh, air traffic. And I had uh, chief master, I had a two, a lieutenant and a captain, two chief master sergeants, or one chief master, no, I take that back, two chief master sergeants, a couple of senior masters and some master sergeants, and about 100 or so people working under me which basically I was unemployed. I signed a lot of stuff, but that was about it. It was an excellent retirement job. So real quickly, did you have run-ins with upper upper officers? Or I had the short version when I get that question is, uh, why didn't you get picked up for lieutenant colonel? I never finished my master's. And the feeling back then was that uh, master's was more important than PME. I took the other view surprisingly enough got all my pme done on time and ahead of time but without the masters that i I did piss off a couple of sixes here and there yeah but uh, what they really what they could really hang their hat on was no master's degree and what is what is tme pme professional military education okay you know like squadron officer school air command and staff college air war college all those you did those or not i did all the way up through air command and staff 
because you had to be, I think you had to be an LC or an LC select to get into Air War College. Did you go down to uh, Montgomery? I did uh, SOS down in Montgomery because that was while I was grounded. I figured, I well, this will kill a couple of months. <laughs> did that. And then I did uh, ACSC, Air Command and Staff College, by correspondence while I was at Plattsburgh. Okay. I, I only ask because my dad was stationed at Maxwell for uh, – ended up being four years. He did ACSC one, one year. Then he became an instructor at SOS for three. So we – I did all my junior high school stuff there in uh, that area. Montgomery. Uh, Prattville. We were up in Prattville. Oh, okay. <laughs> in the 60s. It was a very entertaining time. Oh, yeah. Uh, so the Air Force finally let you re- – you got to retire, right? Yep. Actually, that was kind of a story, too. You know, In case anybody's listening, A, don't try this at home. <laughs> And B, this should go to show you there ain't no one right way to skin a cat. I mean, I've done stuff that nobody, I've got had a career progression that nobody I've ever heard of has had. And I still managed to put in my almost 20 years. I'll get back to that. I'll circle back to that in a second. And had a, fair, had a pretty successful career. I got to fly my entire career. Even the one year I did on the wing staff, I was still in a flying billet. So I got to still got to get up and flush my system out every now and then. But when I got uh, passed over the second time, Castle was getting ready to close. Plus the assignment system had changed to where you could, if you had, I think it was 16 years or more in, you could not turn down an assignment. So they took all of us passed over majors and said, what's the shittiest job we can find for these people? (laughs) Give them that. And then most of us seven-day opted, where you took seven days, you could either uh, get out or accept the assignment. And that was at a time when Manning was still kind of shaky, so they were giving people the option of retiring early, just taking uh, you know, however many months off your retirement pay. And they wanted me to become an ALO, which was an Army liaison officer, which meant I'd be 40-year-old me, would be humping a pack through the boonies with a bunch of grunts calling in A-10 airstrikes. Oh, yeah, that that's right up your alley with a heart. I, I said, thank you, but no, thank you. Yeah. You can't and fly your 15s, but you can do that. No, I yeah. <laughs> so but I lucked out because the guy who used to work for me in Stanaval was working at MPC and rated assignments. And he gave me the heads up that it was coming down. Okay. And you were able to dodge it? Well, I just turned it down. Okay. Cool. And then, so you stayed there after you retired? Yeah, I stayed at Castle. I went, uh, when I found out I was going to be getting out, I went ahead and started my uh, teaching uh, classes for my teaching credential. And I retired, I think, July, or I retired June 30th. And July 2nd, I started my student teaching. Interesting. So So basically just rolled from one career into the other one. Now, how did you get that student teaching job? Oh, it was just part of the credentialing program. They got you student teaching assignments as part of the program. Once you had your once you had your classwork done. Okay, so that was effectively your master's program, right? Pretty much, yeah. And where where did you teach? Where'd you teach? I taught. Uh, was gonna. I was getting ready to apply in the uh, city schools, and then somebody who I had I took a year and subbed. 
and somebody I sub for gave my name to some people at a little private uh, Episcopal school downtown that said, hey, this guy's pretty good. You might want to give him a look. And they brought me in as a long-term sub for a lady who just contracted breast cancer. Ooh. And I finished out the year for her. And they offered, they had a fourth grade teacher who was leaving, said the job's yours if you want it. So I took it and that was the next 15 years. So fourth grade teacher of what, all topics or just one or what? Everything, yeah. We, uh, I taught fourth grade and then as uh, buddies started getting tight and our numbers started dwindling, I did a couple of years where I taught a four or five combo and I think one year where I taught just fifth grade. But yeah, it was all subjects. So I'm, I, I think the audience is going to want to know how did, the, how did the guy with the, with the independent spirit and the, and the uh, harsh attitude uh, towards military and, and organizations of how did you deal with a bunch of fourth and fifth graders? It actually wasn't as hard as you might think. That's fourth and fifth grade is kind of a sweet spot because they're young enough that they still like you. You know, you're Mr. Fagan. You're the cool teacher. Yeah. And they're old enough that they can work independently. Like we went back there and I walked into my classroom a couple of years after I left and I looked at my desk and there's this worn spot on the corner of it where my feet were up the whole time for 15 <laughs> But yeah, I was the cool teacher at St. Luke's. <laughs> okay, and you and you had airplane stories and, and cool uh, academy tales to tell them. Right? Oh yeah, a lot of that stuff, and some of the stuff le- is legit. It's got legitimate value because you can you can tell the kids. You know, if you went to college and then went straight into a credentialing program and then straight into the classroom, what do you have to tell these kids that hey, the stuff you're learning right now may seem useless, but and I was able to give them real life examples of, okay, especially things like math and science. Oh, yeah. But, hey, you, I actually use this stuff or this stuff saved my life or I was doing this one day in the night in the mountains and this and that. And it actually was a pretty good selling point. Okay. Now, you, now you've triggered the, one of my big uh, gotcha questions. And that is, do you want to do you have any uh, close call stories you want to share? Um. I got a couple major league brain farts. I got uh, tried. I flew through a line of thunderstorms in a T thirty three to get back to KI, so I wouldn't miss the squadron Christmas party. <laughs> okay, what happened there? Uh, I got the snot knocked out of me, but I made it. And then there was a uh, New Year's party that was going on, and we were trying to get back from across country, and we had uh, the weather at KI was low enough that. Uh, we needed an alternate, but there was no place within range that had alternate weather. So what we did was we filed into Green Bay, which had good weather and used KI as the alternate. We called back in. The squadron commander picked up the phone and essentially said, you want to do what? And I explained it to him. And he goes, you're not going to land at Green Bay, are you? And I said, no, sir. He goes, see you when you get here, click. <laughs> <laughs> and is that what you did? You got, the, got closer to Green Bay and just changed the flight plan? Yeah, got over got overhead Green Bay and air filed into KI and we're good to go. Yeah. But nothing, nothing with the airplanes. You're, you're making the stay or go decision on the aircraft. With with 270 jumps, I'm I'm curious if you had any uh, hesitancy about flying a, a breaking up airplane. Uh, well, tanker, you'd have no, you really wasn't a player. There's no ejection seats and yeah. W getting out, and the parachutes were in the back of the airplane anyway, so that wouldn't work. 
B fifty two, I'd pull the triggers in a heartbeat. How about one oh six? Well, one oh six I never really flew. I only flew it twice. Oh, okay. And that was the uh, same thing. One oh six basically had a zero zero seat. So, so it wouldn't get out of any kind of trouble you got into. B fifty two, if I remember correctly. I think we needed we could eject safely on the ground at ninety knots. Unfortunately, your radar and your navigator ejected downwards, and they were going to become chocks. Yeah, maybe that would be bad. <laughs> but I never really... There was a couple times where the aircraft had my undivided attention, but nothing that I would really have considered life-threatening. I don't know if that's a testament to my training or what, but I never really got scared in an airplane. I think, I think uh, that's... Testament to a lot of factors, among them good pre-flight, good uh, planning, good uh, situational awareness, and like you say, just uh, being in the oh, top of the situation. Just don't training, put training, training. Yeah, don't put yourself in places that, that you're going to need it unless. And now there's external things like bird strikes or, you know, flying in the bad weather is not exactly the greatest idea either. But. Yeah. Well, there's uh, trying to remember what that saying was. It says a good pilot is somebody who uses his superior judgment to avoid having to use his superior aviation skills. <laughs> there you go. That's and I don't know about the judgment part, but like I said, I never, I never scared myself. I had my attention a few times, but that was about it. Well, I think, I think the, the only thing we glossed over was your athletic prowess. Um, pure intramurals. I did, uh, let's see, freshman year. I played lacrosse because I played that in high school in the fall semester, boxing in the winter because I had just come off out of the hospital for a couple of days with the flu and I'd lost enough weight that I could box at 133, which is about 40 pounds ago. Wow. And then I think I did swimming in the spring. I forget what order. And then, uh, Let's see, second class year, I played football in the fall. I was a boxing referee in the winter, and I played water polo in the spring. Were you the guy that came up with the Speedos? No, not that I know of. Okay. I we, just had, we just had our issue bathing suits. Well, I remember one year playing water polo, we, we all went out and bought Speedos because some guy found we could do it. Hmm. Must not have been the year I was there. One year I did it. Okay. But then no, the last, last year, I think I was uh, played lacrosse first and second or second and first class years. And then second class year, I was a boxing referee third or first class year. I was the CIC of the boxing program and first year played lacrosse played team handball or no. We played team handball in the spring, I think. Yeah. I, I forget what I did in the winter. Yeah, probably that was probably water polo time. <laughs> or yeah. that might have been boxing time. So the only reason I'm asking about your athletic stuff is because I know you still get out and do some hiking in Death Valley. Yeah. And that actually has an Air Force touch too. We were flying when I was here at Castle, the guy who was wing commander when I first got here had been B fifty twos his whole career. He was nuclear the whole time. He never went to Southeast Asia, so he was retiring as an 06 and had never dropped a bomb from an airplane. Wow. 
So we put together a three ship loaded with 51, uh, 500 pounders apiece, flew up into the China Lake ranges. I think it was uh, Paradise Valley range and took him on. Uh, we put, we stuck him in number three so he could watch the bombs going off from leading two. And that was basically, that was right in, it's in Saline Valley, I think, which is two valleys over from Death Valley. But I remember going through there, looking out the windows, going, man, this is like flying over the freaking moon. <laughs> and it stuck in my head. And when I retired, I was watching TV and I saw a program about these great hotels. There were like the Iwani at uh, Yosemite, the Inn at uh, Yellowstone. And one of them was the Inn at uh, Furnace Creek. And I was talking to Jill, my daughter. And she said, you know, you talk, want, want to take pictures and stuff. Why don't you go out to Death Valley and see if there's anything to do there? And that was the fall of 2012. And I've been there twice a year ever since and still finding new places to explore. That's great. Now, someday I want to go down there and do one of those with you. One of those oh, it's, it, it's a good time. It really is. Like I said, well, for about the first five or six years, I had a list of places I wanted to check out. And every year it would get longer. <laughs> yeah i'd hear about these different places and this and that and it's only in the last year or two that it started getting shorter and now i got the grandkids so i took sam he did his first mountain last when he was five he did dante's peak Oof. and i took him up uh desolation canyon we're taking them out again the week after thanksgiving i'm going to take the take sam up bennett peak which is one of the higher ones and take the girls into desolation canyon let him poke around in there and See if we can't light a little bit of a fire. <laughs> well, sounds like, uh, and we're talking about a uh, a fire of enthusiasm, not burning down California. Oh yeah, no, <laughs> California's burning without any help from me. Yeah, yeah. This will make sure everybody, everybody listening, if the FBI is listening, that that's not what Jim's doing now. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks, pal. I I, I think this was really uh, cool. I hope you had a good time. Yeah, I did.